The following podcast may contain strong language and adult themes and is therefore entirely suitable for Danes of all ages. This is English for Danes. Daisies blooming Sundress swaying in the breeze I can't stop staring You've put a spell on me Hello again. Welcome. Week 42, and it's visit the family time in Jutland. We had an afternoon to spare in Aarhus, so we decided to visit Dengamlaboo. Last time we went, it presumably wasn't holiday time, as there weren't people dressed up from the old days being shopkeepers, craftsmen, housemaids, etc. And the 1970s had been added since our last visit, so we are now officially old. The teenagers survived this cultural trip with little complaint, so three cheers for Dengamlaboo. Besides the impressively preserved old buildings with lifelike wax figures, there's a watermill and a great new, at least to us, time machine exhibition which takes you through the history of Aarhus. It's short, thankfully, but manages to cover, among other things, Viking settlements, the plague, and resistance fighters during the German occupation. It always impresses me how much museum space can be filled with Danish resistance during the war. The superb effort in helping the Jews escape the Nazis is certainly something to be very proud of. But Danish resistance, however brave, was a little limited, especially at the beginning, and the less said about how the West Coast beach mines were cleared, the better. By the way, the war started in 1939, not 1940. Poor Poland, ignored again. Anyway, the Time Machine exhibition also includes an old steam train. How did that get down there? A massive bulk of black metal which blows out a cloud of steam. Very cool. So a watermill and a steam locomotive. Relics of the past that look great but have no modern purpose. And that brings me to the royal family. Back to those icebreaker questions I asked students. What do you think of your royal family? I rarely meet anyone who is passionately for or against the royal family. Mostly, the Danish royals seem well liked, especially Margrethe and Frederick, also known as the King and Queen of Holland. It seems Henrik wasn't so popular, just to be a little pompous, annoyed at not being king, and not having splendidly pronounced Danish. And Joachim simply exists and now his kids are being cruelly stripped of their prince and princess titles. Poor Yorkim. It's a hard life. He probably feels much like Brian Laudrup, another typically ignored younger brother. At least I feel some pity for Brian, the name, obviously, but also the recent over-the-top reaction to his work for the Dubai Tourist Board. To put things into perspective, David Beckham, model footballer with spicy wife, has accepted £150 million to be an ambassador for Qatar during and after the World Cup. That's 1.3 milliard kroner. Blimey. Back to the Royals. When writing my years-ago book, I noted the following from Lonely Planet's Introduction to Denmark, March 2011. As a tourist, you get the fairy tales thrown in for free. 
The Danish royal family is genuinely loved and respected by the vast majority of its citizens. Not least, handsome Prince Frederick, his beautiful Australian-born Princess Bride Mary, and their young family. That's nice. Praise for the royals was dropped in the 2022 version, as was the following line. The locals' courtesy is refreshing. Yes, it really did say that. I'll say it again. The locals' courtesy is refreshing. I can only assume the writer either hadn't been to Denmark, or he meant refreshing in the sense of jumping into the sea in January, the unpleasant shock briefly stopping your heart. But that's for another day. The Royals. Daisy, Fred and Mary are often described as normal people, wanting to do the right thing and protect the weak. Although no great fan of our British Royals, I also think they want to do the right thing and protect the weak. Well, apart from Prince Andrew, who was clearly thinking of neither of these when he allegedly joined Epstein's sex parties. But normal isn't the first word that springs to mind when I think of our royal family. Yes, the younger generation are trying their best. William is a keen Aston Villa fan and came across as perfectly normal on a football podcast I heard. Harry has always done his best to appear normal and had a normal army career. Okay, he married a Hollywood actress, not so normal. Like all normal people, the royals have flaws and make mistakes. And, naturally, with the press following their every move, these mistakes aren't missed. Prince Harry famously went to a party dressed as a Nazi, shouting, Heil Hitler! Different. Malicious rumours persist that both Frederick and Joachim, and William and Harry, have different fathers. It's a shameful suggestion and a Danish newspaper article once accused Queen Margrethe of being a notorious pipe smuggler. The paper said that in her reckless youth, the naughty royal spent her London nights digging up Hyde Park in London in search of ancient clay pipes, then smuggling out the national treasures in her royal knickers. But it is simply not true that she first met Henrik on one of these nighttime adventures. The other day I found myself in the unusual position of defending royals. We were discussing Prince Frederick, and my son said something along the lines of, Easy life. I leapt to his defence. Imagine being followed around by cameras, having to prove yourself an Iron Man, and having to drive over dangerously windy bridges. I should have mentioned having to father as many princes and princesses, also known as welfare recipients, as you possibly can. That would have quickly ended the discussion. Our royals are far more entertaining and embarrassing than yours, and public opinion seems much more divided. Some people are royal crazy. Some can't bear them. Prince Charles very much divides opinion, but I have a soft spot for clearly not normal Charles. The poor chap was a hate figure when Lady died, but his heart appears to be in the right place, and he bangs on about the environment to the irritation of the Conservative Party. Both worthy causes. Defenders claim royals are good for business, tourists and selling the Danish UK brand. It's impossible to calculate how much money this actually brings in and where this amount stands in comparison with how much royals cost to maintain, but I very much doubt royals make economic sense. The UK gang pay tax, but also own huge areas of the UK, including virtually all the seabed around the UK 
said he earned hundreds of millions from offshore wind farms. I read an article speculating where King Charles and Camilla would now live. It listed the options. They could have one month a year living in each one. How better to do the right thing and protect the weak than hand over these assets to the state? Just a thought. I get it with royal families. They're a constant in a rapidly changing world. They're a reference point for nostalgia. And there's a collective bonding, whether you bond for them or against them. Whether a fan of our Queen or not, she was a dignified, reserved figurehead with a strong sense of duty. Contrast that with Boris. My Republican argument falters. Anyway, Queen Elizabeth is dead. You may have noticed. I heard about her death when I met a Danish friend in the pub. As I approached, he held out his arms and gave me a big hug. Oh, I cried. Well, I said, oh, I heard she was ill. It's always amused me that a British comedian, Spike Milligan, has written on his gravestone, I told you I was ill. The UK stopped for ten days. Businesses and authorities went into full, gosh, we're sad, mode. Then they moved the Queen to London and the public could show their own, gosh, we're sad, by joining a massive queue. Apparently, 250,000 people queued to see the Queen's coffin. The BBC had a live stream of people passing the coffin. Really. The queue was 10 miles long, and at one point the wait was more than 24 hours. As one wit tweeted, the Queen's coffin queue now stretches so far that the people at the end will get to see Charles's coffin instead. David Beckham queued for 12 hours. The things you do for redemption. It was all very British. We have a reputation for loving a queue. But there was one moment of horrifying, very un-British behaviour that rocked the nation. Two TV presenters went from national sweethearts to national villains when they were accused of queue-jumping. How dare they! You Danes know what a queen is, and how you should act upon meeting one. A queue, on the other hand, seems to be far more mysterious, especially for the older generation. What is a queue? Another tweet sums it up nicely. Q is such a great word. The actual important letter, Q, and then four more silently waiting behind in line. When I first arrived in Denmark, I was wowed by the Danish queuing culture, and not in a good way. I quickly learned that in this society of entitlement, everyone was entitled to be first, no matter how many people were already waiting. I would stand at a bar waiting to order, Mr. Invisible, as people arrived next to me and ordered first, or even ordered from behind me. Occasionally, I would say, I think I was here first, to which they would apologise. I simply wasn't noticed, apparently. There were no queues waiting for public transport, just a crush when the doors opened. Things have certainly improved. White lines at the metro show that you're expected to let people get off first. Maybe Covid helped. Plenty of queuing practice where you're expected to keep your distance. Supermarkets have always been the best place to view Denmark's queuing culture. Impatience reaches bizarre levels, demanding new checkout counters be opened and racing to be first. But is this even changing? Well, no, but the other day I was waiting in line in Super Bruce and with Christine, the wife. There were about eight shoppers in the line, 
all waiting patiently. Everyone looked perfectly content. I was so amazed that I mentioned it to Christine. She agreed. It was refreshing. So things are looking up. Not in cars, of course. Danes are good, sensible drivers, but crap in queues. You're in a side street, and you want to pull out to join the traffic. You're waiting for someone to leave you a little gap. And you wait. And you wait. My pet hate is the selfish git who sees lane restrictions coming up on the motorway and speeds down the fast lane to join the queue later. I don't let them in. Actually, I do, but I give them the look. I refuse to adopt the approach of, if you can't beat them, join them. I'll continue to let people with fewer items go ahead of me in a supermarket. I'll let the person in front have first choice of the newly opened checkout counter. I'll continue to stop for people at zebra crossings and let people out of side streets. And I'll continue to say, you were first in bars. And what if I'm in a rush? Nothing changes. It shouldn't. Just be considerate of others. I'll also continue to throw out a sarcastic, don't mention it, no problem, you're welcome, at all those who utterly ignore my efforts to make the day a little more pleasant. Rant over, for now. In April 2010, a riot kicked off at Santon Refugee Centre, and one person was stabbed to death. And what caused this? Someone jumping a canteen queue. Queuing is a serious matter. Be warned. When I first heard the BBC had mistakenly called Daisy and Iron Fred the King and Queen of Holland, I'd assumed Daisy and Fred had simply stolen their seats opposite Prince Charles, or King Charles, in a classic Danish queue-jumping way. Sadly, I learned the mistake was made as they entered the church. I watched the funeral, for the spectacle. Sailors throwing the Queen's coffin on the gun carriage, marching bands, horses, massive Union Jack flags on the mall, royals walking behind the coffin, crowds throwing flowers. Even though I'm clearly not a royalist, I got a little watery-eyed in the first service, when the piper played and when the congregation sang, God Save the King. So I'm not such an emotional vacuum. Christine, the wife, once told me I had the emotional depth of a pancake. Rude. Watching the funeral on DR, I learnt a new word. Probably many, but it's the only one I remember. A state hearse is in Congley Rustvorn. A rust wagon? I had to check with Christine that rust means the same in Danish. Great name, very dignified. Danish can be so poetic. Lizard, fearman, four legs. Ear piercing, hole in ear. And the classic, nipples, breast warts. Having had a full day of royal overload, I needed to shake my royal empathy, so I spent the evening watching the Sex Pistols series on Disney+. Plus. God save the Queen, a fascist regime, etc. They weren't fans. Before I sum up this pod, uh, I think I'll throw in a worth remembering. Well, it's got several parts, actually, so maybe you need a pen and paper, if, if that doesn't make me sound like a relic of the past, too. Um, and all the likes which are connected with this pod, I'll throw into the next pod. Okay, so these worth remembering notes are all connected with uh, numbers. I started this pod by mentioning week 42. At this precise point, I lost all British listeners. Well, hypothetically. 
Weak numbers mean zero to the Brits. I now know that week 42 is in October and week 7 is in February. Without checking, I think the July holidays are week 30-something. So don't assume a Brit has the faintest idea what you're talking about when you throw out something like week 12. We also don't use anything above 12 when we're talking about the time. 13 o'clock is 1 o'clock. 1 p.m. or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, if it isn't blatantly obvious. The only people who use 13, 14, etc. are those in the army. We attack at 1400 hours. And here's a real head trip for Danes. The meetings are half two. What time is that? For a Dane, half two is one thirty. For a Brit, it's two thirty. For us, half two is short for half past two. I never say the word past in this context. If you say to a Brit, the party starts at half eight, they'll be an hour late. We Brits will rarely arrive at a party at the start time, it's just not in our culture, but we will respect the Danish culture's obsession with punctuality. So be clear and say 7.30, not half eight. Two more number-related differences, and there are others. Number one, I wrote earlier that David Beckham is earning 1.3 milliard kroner from Qatar. I use the Danish word because the English word for milliard is billion, which is even more in Danish. And number two, how Danes say phone numbers really confuses us. You make pairs of numbers, so a phone number would be given as 46, 83, 22, 15. We take each number separately, grouping them typically in threes. So the same number would be 468 32215. That's a lot of information. And quite enough. But before I go, I have a suggestion on the future of the Danish royal family. By brutally mistreating the children of Prince Joachim, enjoy the title while you can, mate, Queen Marg is apparently trying to modernise the monarchy. My suggestion. An institution that belongs in the past should live in the past. But don't despair, Daisy. I'm not advocating your removal. Simply a move. To Dengamlabu. You could put your talents to use in designing stage sets and your own costumes. You could puff away on your stolen pipes in an authentic setting. Just imagine the cues. Actually, better not to. Cheers. <laughs>